This morning we continue walking with Jesus and his disciples on their journey towards Jerusalem and on our journey as followers of our Christ. We turn to Matthew chapter 14, verse 22. This is immediately following the events of the feeding of the 5,000. Immediately, Jesus, he made the disciples get into a boat and go on ahead to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he dismissed the crowds, he went up the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But by this time, the boat battered by the waves was far from the land, for the wind was against them. And early in the morning, he came walking toward them on the sea, But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified, saying, It's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat started walking on the water and came toward Jesus. But when he noticed the strong wind, he became frightened and began to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and caught him, saying to him, You of little faith, why did you doubt? But when they got into the, when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, You are the Son of God, the Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. One of the greatest challenges that I find in in preaching is the expectation of making every Scripture passage applicable. I can't even say the word hardly, I guess. Making it connect and giving us action. It's a longer way to say applicable. I should have practiced that more. Anyway, anyway, I have words I have a hard time saying. But that's one of the hardest expectations of preaching is making everything uh, in, the, in the Bible something that we can immediately turn around and do something with. And that's not to say that Scripture doesn't have that for us, but when that becomes the primary expectation every time we encounter Scripture for preaching, we start to turn the Bible into a book that's primarily about us. And when we do that, we miss out on the richness and beauty of the text. Now, the Bible is definitely for us, but it's not about us. The Bible is God's story. The arc of of Scripture from Genesis all the way through Revelation is God's relentless pursuit of humanity. From the fall to the new creation, God pursuing us. Pursuing humanity and the great lengths that God has done that. And that's the central theme throughout Scripture. Even in the book of Ruth, the book of Ruth never mentions God directly. But we see God at work all throughout that story. So even a book that doesn't mention God is still about God with other people involved. 
But sometimes when we look at Scripture, sometimes, and it usually has something we can do with it, but sometimes when we read Scripture, we're only meant to marvel. To marvel at what God has done, is doing, will do. To sit in awe of God. When we make every Scripture about us rather than for us, we miss out on the deeper message. And that can be true in today's message. Now, today's message has often been focused on Peter, which is a reflection of us as followers. And we turn it into a story about us by focusing on Peter. Now, there is stuff for us to learn from and to grow from here. But if we only focus on Peter... We miss out on some of the greater and the deeper truths that Jesus is trying to teach us. That Matthew, as writing this, is trying to get across. Now, there's a lot going on with this. Lots of sermons have been written about Peter. Sermons, devotions, skits, memes, gifs, or gifs, depending on how you pronounce that. Gifs. <laughs> Jesus even points to Peter as the one who will, this on you, I will build my church, either him specifically or the words that have just come out of his mouth when Jesus says that. So we look at Peter and this experience of his, and we go, well, if he can fall, if he can fail, this speaks to me in the midst of my doubt. So there is something there for us, and we'll talk a little bit about that later. But before we talk about Peter, the primary of this text should be God in the person of Jesus Christ. Because there's a lot happening here. Much like last week in the feeding of the 5,000 story, if we, if we just focus on the actions that we see in that moment of the feeding, we miss out on the greater truths that are going on. Matthew is continuing to point back at Jesus' divine identity as explored in the Old Testament, as well as pointing towards his future activity and purpose in the salvation of humanity. He continues all of that in that text, but we have to take our eyes off of Peter and put them on Jesus to, do, to see that. So we see this text, and he's immediately, this is immediately after the feeding of the 5,000. He was trying to get away at the beginning of that story. He was trying to get away um, from the crowds for some time by himself because he had just found out that his cousin John the Baptizer had just been executed. He was still trying to get away for some alone time. And I imagine him dismissing the crowds and getting the disciples, you go on without me, and he just was, had that time alone. But we don't know exactly about that, but we do know that the verse that says that Jesus sees the storms, and he sees them, and he went to them walking out on the sea. Now, if you, if you were reading Matthew, even if it not all the way through in one sitting, but over a few sitting, settings, you would have, you, your brain would have gone, but wait, in Matthew 8, you just simply told the storm to be quiet, and it stopped. Why go to all this trouble? of walking out on the water. Why not just make the storm quiet? But as we see the story unfold, we see that Jesus is once again doing something great 
in the midst of what could have just been a scary moment, something that we all might connect to. So as, as Matthew writes out what Jesus is doing, he says, He went to them walking upon the sea. And I'm not going to worry you with all the Greek words here. But these Greek words connect directly back to Greek words found in the Septuagint. The Septuagint was the Greek translation of the Old Testament that they had in Jesus' day. They knew the Greek, and they, they probably knew the Hebrew, but they knew that the Greek spoke to people more, which is why the New Testament itself was originally written in Greek. So the Greek words in this part of Matthew say that Jesus went to them walking upon the sea. He's reflecting God's activity at creation. Not what we read in Genesis, but what we read in exchange between God and Job in the book of Job. God asked Job if he had ever gone upon, went upon the springs of the sea or walked in the recesses of the deep. Matthew, in reflection, having experienced this moment firsthand, in reflection, looked back and said, oh my goodness. Jesus is connecting himself to God directly in this moment. As I mentioned, talked about last week, sometimes our awe of God doesn't come in the moment. Sometimes it comes on reflection, that's why time to reflect is so important. We're doing reflection on our own, but also reflection in community. Earlier in the book of Job, Job affirms that the Creator had crossed the oceans before the dawn of humanity, saying that God stretched out the heavens and trampled on the waves of the sea. Imagery that one could say is reflected. And Jesus is walking upon the water. But it wasn't just his actions that Matthew reflects back to us as are reflected in the Old, that reflect back to him, the Old Testament, and to us as well, of Jesus' divine identity. As he gets closer to the boat, he says, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. That English translation of a Greek phrase that is also found in the Old Testament is the same Greek phrase that we find when Moses asks of God at the burning bush, who do I say sent me to you, O Pharaoh of Egypt? It's the same phrase, ego me." That one I can say because I heard it a thousand times in seminary and I paid for that wor those words and they reside in the frontal part of my brain. Ego me. The same words that Jesus says, it is I, really is saying, I am. Take heart, I am. When Moses, God responds to Moses, tell them, I am sent you. Matthew is declaring Jesus' divine identity, pointing it out to us. He's not declaring it. Jesus has shown it and declared it, and Matthew is Reflecting it back to us. Especially to his immediate community as they were mostly Hebrew in nature. And they knew these stories. They knew this text. And they didn't miss any of it. They go in me. 
We think of John's gospel. John has all these I am statements of Jesus. I am the bread of life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the vine. All these I am statements that are meant to point us back to Jesus saying I am to Moses. But Matthew has them too. They just always get translated as such in the English. So as if walking on water weren't enough to reflect Jesus' divine status, Jesus repeats the very words of God's identity. I am. So Matthew is reflecting back on the Old Testament to reveal Jesus' divine identity. But he's also, words that he is using are helping us to see the activity of God through Jesus in the salvation of humanity. Because if we were, again, reading this whole thing, we would go from this passage and continue reading, because we're close enough now. If you're reading it just in a few settings, you'd keep going. You'd keep going all the way to the end, and you'd get to the crucifixion. You get to the part where Jesus is on the cross. The earth shakes. He gives up his spirit. A Roman centurion and the guards around the cross declare, truly this was the Son of God. As opposed to the disciples saying, truly you are, truly this was the Son of God. The only thing that changes in those two phrases in the Greek is who is talking about in the reference. I mean, it's still the same who, but it's from the perspective. Rather than talking to Jesus, they're talking about Jesus. Truly, this was the Son of God. Matthew is making sure we don't miss these connections all along the way. As Jesus reached down and lifted and saved Peter from drowning, he also stayed on the cross, yet reaching down. Saves all of humanity through his death. And if we only focus on Peter and his doubt or his faith, we miss all of that. And I could stop right there, and, and I would feel okay stopping right there and just saying, isn't that amazing about our God? Go and sit with that for a little while and be sitting all in wonder about the great I am, about Jesus and his divine identity, about Jesus' desire to seek out and save us. That would be enough. But I'm a little bit more. What is the good news for us? Those things are the good news for us. Jesus' greatness on display gives greater meaning to his activity in our lives. All of that, rather than just being a good man who taught some wonderful things, who died a sacrificial life, who started a movement reaching out towards us in the future with his ideas. This is the second person of the Trinity, the very Son of God, present and creation, and just as powerful now, at one with the great I Am, who reaches out to save us. These are all important to remember. That when Jesus comes to us, he comes to us as all of us. Not just some regular guy who did some great things. But the Son of God. 
And there's one thing that I didn't point out earlier that is important when we start to apply this to ourselves is to think about the fact that Jesus met Peter where he was. He didn't stand up and say, Peter, what's wrong with you? You should be right here. Get yourself together. And then, you know, somehow Peter just kind of shakes it off and does better. No, he reaches down where Peter is. He's sinking and terrified and probably thrashing. All those things that if, if you ever took any kind of swimming lessons or lifeguard stuff and they said, don't reach out to grab somebody by themselves when they're thrashing, Jesus did it because he's Jesus, not some Galilean lifeguard. And he reaches out to save him. He meets him where he is. And Jesus meets us where we are in the midst of all of life's storms. But remembering that he comes in power, he comes with compassion, and he is able to save. In, 20, in, in Matthew 14, 26, but when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified, saying, it is a ghost, that Jesus is able to save even when we don't immediately recognize him, when we don't understand his presence. Even when Peter walks out of the boat, he's still t- testing who this person is. At that point, if you say it's you, I'll come out there. Well, I'm thinking, if this is a ghost to somebody who means me harm, they're going to tell me this to sink. I mean, tell me whatever I, you know, whatever I need to hear to get me to step out of this boat and sink. I don't know that this is a great test of identity. However, Peter does it. I'll trust that. Even when we don't immediately recognize Jesus, he still meets us where we are. When we're overwhelmed by life, when our brain is spinning and we don't, can't see God's activity or God's presence or anything, that he still reaches out towards us. He reaches out, toward, uh, out towards us when we're focused on the distractions and not the main attractions. In verse 30, when Peter noticed the strong wind, he became frightened and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. He was distracted from the source of his faith on the troubles that surrounded him, and he started to sink. Even in our distractions, when we're not focused on Jesus, we may even recognize him, but we're not focused on him anymore. He still meets us where we are. And he saves us even when our faith is too small. Verse 31, Jesus immediately reached out his hand and caught him caught Peter saying to him you have little faith why did you doubt sometimes our faith is too small it's too little and we sink but Jesus already himself has already told us throughout all these parables of small things through the multiplication of the bread and the fish to feed 5,000 has told us that your smallness is enough when we partner with Christ. Peter's small faith was enough when Jesus took his hand and lifted him out. Peter's faith didn't increase in that moment. Probably increased after that moment, but not in it. Some, our small faith is enough when we partner with Jesus. In life, when we focus on Jesus rather than ourselves or our circumstances, we're able to see God's activity all around us. God at work all around. The kingdom of God breaking through. 
there's a fullness of God's kingdom to come some point in the future. But God's kingdom is also present. Jesus said the kingdom of God is at hand, which means it's so close I can put my hand on it, so close I can touch it. And we are meant to be mindful and looking out for God's kingdom breaking through so that we can participate in it, working alongside Jesus. In the midst of the storms of the world. And when we're able to see the activity of God all around us, we begin to learn to trust that while we're focused on God, God is focused on us. Not that we forget ourselves completely, but God's primary focus is on us. As we keep our primary focus on him, and that whether we're in a storm or calm seas, whether we're in a season of growing faith or sinking doubt, whether we're surrounded by others or we're all by ourselves, that Jesus meets us where we are with a loving hand and abiding presence. May we continue to seek him in all aspects of our lives, trusting that there are, will be times that we will become distracted where there will be storms. But Jesus is still there, reaching out towards us to lifting us up, even in the midst of the smallness of our faith. And as we accept his great gift of grace, of salvation, that then we turn that around and become agents of his grace in the world, even as we continue to grow in faith and to grow in likeness of Christ. Jesus calls us to be focused disciples not focused on the storms and the challenges of life, not focused on ourselves, but focused on him, trusting that he is focused on us. And as we continue this journey of faith on our own, but also together, we continue to grow in his likeness and help others come to love him as we do. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the gift of your Son who continues to bless us, who continues to reach out to us, who continues to save. Help us to trust you in the smallness of our faith. Help us to trust you with the smallness of our lives or the biggest of things. Help us to see your glory reflected in your Son and accept his gift of salvation. We ask this in Christ's holy name. Amen.